1: This is a CBC Podcast.
0: Welcome back to my channel. So in today's recipe, I'll be showing you guys the viral TikTok Marry
2: Me Chicken recipe.
1: This Marry Me Chicken is all over the internet. Everybody's making it.
2: This chicken has been trending all year long, and I know why. It's so good.
3: Marry Me Chicken, Divorce Me Chicken, Sneaky Link Chicken, don't matter what it's called. I'm telling you, you need it. This is one of the best dishes I've made. Let me show you how to get down.
0: All I'm going to say is you need to try cooking this because I'm super impressed with how tasty this is. That's right, Mary me chicken, a dish said to be so good, it elicits marriage proposals. The recipe went viral online this year, and it has landed at the top of the New York Times list of most popular recipes of 2023. Genevieve Coe is the deputy editor and a columnist with the New York Times cooking section. Matt Galloway spoke to her earlier this month about the most popular recipes of the year. Here's their conversation.
3: Marry me chicken. Why did that recipe, that chicken recipe in particular, blow up (laughs) online the way that it did.
4: Well, you know, it was, it is, I should say, a really delicious dish, Um, but it's just one of those dishes that uh, became a huge TikTok sensation over the year. And our reporter uh, on our food desk, Christina Morales, uh, tracked that trend and and why that really took off. And then, of course, we had to then uh, run a recipe to go with it because it is so delicious. And so our recipe developer, Naz Daravian, uh, created uh, just, I think, the most perfect version of it. And it just... Was a huge hit this past year.
3: What is it? Just briefly, what is it? I mean, just give us the the, the, the very thin sketch for people who don't know about it.
4: It's a chicken dish and a creamy tomatoey sauce, and it's all done in one uh, skillet. So you really have the. Combination of the chicken and the sauce in there, and if you just—I really love it with some bread to swipe that sauce up.
3: Is there a divorce me chicken? We heard somebody mention that.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we definitely joked a lot about that. Is that the next dish that we should? Is that the next dish that we should uh, be doing?
3: When you take a look at this year, we were talking about this yesterday. That it's been a really hard year broadly for a lot of people. The news is terrible, yes. and yes. For, I, I, I seek comfort in places like the kitchen. That's the place where I will yeah. go to try to to put things aside and focus on what I can control. How did how did that come out in the food that we ate this year, do you think?
4: I mean, we definitely saw that a lot in the recipes that people went to, you know. And I think one thing, though, that was really interesting about this year was that we created a lot of new recipes that were just uh, completely novel, really the the unique original creations of our of our recipe developers. Um, And so we saw people still looking for the comfort that they always seek, but not necessarily in um, dishes that they already knew. Mm -hmm. So one of my favorites uh, near the top of the list there is uh, Gochujang Buttered Noodles. Mm -hmm. And this is created by Eric Kim, uh, one of our staff writers who... um, combined gochujang, which is a Korean uh, fermented bean paste that's a little bit spicy because it has gochugaru, which are chili flakes, um, but really combine that with uh, butter, <laughs> which everyone loves, and noodles, which we really feel are the ultimate comfort food for uh, for everyone. Uh, and it's this wonderful dish that is completely novel, but is still really um, its tangy and warming and of course, very buttery. And it's just um, something that I think people were looking for this year because Mm -hmm. it provided both a comfort and something new.
3: I mean, I look at that list and much of this is food that I've cooked on a regular basis in our home, full disclosure, but it does feel like comfort food. Miso and honey chicken with asparagus, Mm -hmm. the white beans with uh, tomato, the the lemon pasta with with almonds and arugula. Those are all things that, that will give you something, right?
4: Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And one of our most popular desserts of the year was a baked lemon pudding. And I think um, even just saying those three words together, baked lemon pudding, is you know is something that I think brings a lot of people, uh, a lot of people warmth and comfort and joy.
3: Tell me about the baked lemon pudding, please.
4: So that's actually from a pastry chef, Gerald Ryle, in uh, in Ireland, and our columnist David Tanis adapted it from his cookbook and. Uh, it's exactly what it sounds like, which is uh, a delicious uh, lemon pudding that you actually bake in the oven. So it almost—it's creamy and it's very comforting, and you bake it in one big casserole dish, and you just spoon it out. It's uh, only a handful of ingredients that you probably already have at home, but what comes out is just so citrusy and, and bright and fresh, but also still creamy and
3: delicious. Aside from the comfort food part, I mean the there are always trends and things that pop up over the course of the year. What strikes you about, about the recipes of 2023? Is there something aside from that comfort food that runs through those recipes?
4: Well, you know, one of the most um, interesting things is that year over year, one thing that we still see um, consistently is just a lot of people are always still looking for chicken recipes. <laughs> That's pretty unchanging chicken and pasta. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see year over year Um, We did see people uh, really being more adventurous in terms of um, different, again, different flavor combinations that that are completely novel. Um, But one thing that we continue to see um, and that we continue to do more and more of are dishes that are really plant-based. So whether or not home cooks are actually vegan or vegetarian, we do know that they really um, are looking for more plant-based dishes.
3: Life is really expensive, these days, when you are creating a recipe or you're putting a recipe up on the Times cooking site, how important is it to consider the cost of ingredients?
4: We think about it so much, it's very much at the front of mind. I mean, even before uh, inflation really made grocery prices jump, it was something that we were always very mindful of. But after uh, the huge increase in grocery bills, we were even more mindful of it. And so, you know, while we don't do exact calculations because every store, every region, Mm. you know, prices shift a bit, we're just very, very mindful of the different ingredients we're calling for and, um, you know, and what a, a whole dish could potentially cost.
3: What is it like for you knowing that later on today there will be many, many, many people who will be looking to you for ideas on what to cook for dinner? They will be flipping through the New York Times cooking app or looking at the food section of the paper and thinking, I have no idea what I'm going to make. What do they think I should make?
4: Yeah, that is why we all do what we do. It's why I do what I do. Um, You know, we actually are just really in... uh, moved in and motivated by feeding people, you know, by not only giving them the dishes that they need every night, which they do, right? Just providing that service to home cooks to say, hey, um, you know, you've got those four ingredients in your fridge. Well, we've got just thousands and thousands of recipes for you to choose from. Um, but also we really are um, just so motivated by giving people joy. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, especially as you say, it's been a really hard year, Um, uh, in the world and also for, you know, just, I think for individuals in every level. And so we just want to bring people a lot of joy, a lot of happiness. You know, we just came out with our big cookie week package and, um, and our our sort of theme this year for our cookies was just to make them really bright, (laughs) Uh, to make them really colorful, to make them really fun and really playful. And, and we just know that even for people who maybe aren't even going to bake any cookies, even just looking at them on the app can you know put a smile on someone's face.
3: What's the so. go? What's the go-to recipe for you when you are looking for joy and comfort and time is tight? What's the thing that the, the thing that you know that if you put on the table, um, life will be better?
4: Oh, I, well, do cookies count? Yes, <laughs> I'm a baker. <laughs> I'm a baker, and so I will. I will whip up. I will whip up a batch of cookies. Uh, is what I I always like to do. And then then just, I don't even know that if they make it to the table, you know, just serve them warm right from the pan.
3: Genevieve, thank you very much.
4: Thank you so much
0: for having me. Genevieve Coe is the deputy food editor for the New York Times. Many of us find our favorite recipes online, but some would argue it's not quite the same as cracking open a cookbook and leafing through the pages of write-ups and beautiful photos. Jonathan Chung is a chef and the owner of Appetite for Books, a bookstore in Montreal. And Lucy Waverman is a food columnist for The Globe and Mail and the author of numerous cookbooks. Here is Matt Galloway's conversation with them.
3: Jonathan, what do you see as the role of a cookbook right now? We're just talking about online uh, recipes. You can watch cooking videos. We'll talk about TikTok in a moment. What is the place of a cookbook in that?
1: Well, there's so many ways that one can get a recipe, but... I'm a little biased here in saying that I think a cookbook is probably the best way to get a recipe. The on, online is kind of an, a never-ending void of recipes that that like are untested. Uh, uh, you can fall down a rabbit hole so easily and and never be able to choose something. Whereas a cookbook, the curated bunch of recipes between two covers, it keeps your attention focused. I've always said the cookbooks are the best way to get inspired. Mm.
3: TikTok is fascinating though. And I say this um, as a father with kids who spend a lot of time on TikTok and are inspired by, by that app and what they see on that app to cook and ideas that they get. Do you, do you give any credence to, to what, they, what people are seeing on TikTok?
1: Absolutely. I have no qualms in wherever people can get a recipe uh, because, you know, if it inspires them to get into the kitchen and cook something from raw ingredients or even semi-raw Uh, I'm all for, you know, I'm just really for getting people in the kitchen and doing something. Mm. If you want something, though, tested, tried and true, I highly recommend uh, a a cookbook. That's that's where you're actually you're going to get a really terrific recipe, including uh, my my panelist with me, Lucy Waverman's cookbooks. Really, really great. (laughs) Lucy, what makes a great cookbook? Great.
2: I think it's discovering who the author is, what kind of person, how they feel about food. Um, And when you get excited by them, then the cookbook is going to be great for you. I mean, different cookbooks are great for different people. I think also it's got to do with trust. And what Jonathan says is true. These recipes are created, curated and tested. And you know that. Whereas on the internet, you can get anything.
3: So people know that if they buy a Lucy Waverman cookbook, and whether it's what they've read in the newspaper or if they've read books of yours past, they have a sense as to who you are.
2: That's what I'm trying to say, yes. And if they've got a sense of who, who I am and they like me, or for any book that comes out, then they're going to be happy with the book.
3: Jonathan, how do you think people use cookbooks? now um in in comparison to the way that they did perhaps 10 or 20 years ago do they actually cook from them or are they they look nice <laughs> on the shelf and we look through them and then they just sit in a pile
1: yeah well there's there's many types of people that buy that buy books i i i see them every single day walking into the store there of course the majority of them are there to find a recipe or two um but there's a lot of people that buy them and collect them and may not open it to cook anything from it. A lot of people I know just read cookbooks like novels. Mm. And and like Lucy was saying, they get to know the author and a lot of times these books now are very personal to the to the mm. specific author. And the hearing about their love of food and, or even their love of one specific recipe. It helps you connect. It helps the reader connect to the, to the book and the recipe even more and inspires them to cook it.
3: Lucy, does it matter if people don't cook from your books? I was spoke, spoke with an author once who said that the best praise that they could have is that the pages are splattered with oil and bits of the food <laughs> that you were you know, cooking and it ended up on the pages. But does it matter if the, if the person just buys the book and flips through it and looks at the pictures and doesn't actually cook anything from it?
2: Of, of course, that's fine. People take cookbooks to bed with them. They're not exactly going to cook there. So they, <laughs> they read them and they love them and they read the recipes and they salivate and then they close the book and that's it. They don't cook from them. Lots of people don't cook from cookbooks.
3: You've come into the studio with a bag full of books.
2: Yes, I have. Do you want
3: to tell us about what's in front of you? These are, okay. these are books that... that, that you enjoy it over the course of this year?
2: Yes. And one of them is a, a real cookbook, and the other two are very interesting. Okay. So this cookbook is Prairie by Dan Clapson and Twyla Campbell. And what it is is fresh recipes, and it celebrates the Canadian prairies. Now, I knew nothing about prairie food before I read this book. I kind of thought it was the land of pierogi, but I was so wrong. Um, It's the food of the earth. The prairies grow the lentils, they grow all the pulses Mm -hmm. and all the rest of it. And this book is full of recipes for those kinds of things, for local ingredients. Um, Many of them are comfort food. There's lots of explanations. The book has a sense of humor. It's going to make you laugh in places. There's lots of drinks. There's recipes for preserving the seasons. Mm. Um, And there's sophisticated recipes in in it as well. Um, but my favorite take home from this book, I know this sounds crazy, is learning the exciting qualities of pickle juice.
3: Pickle juice?
2: Pickle juice. Okay, continue. You could use pickle juice in your cooking. You use it instead of vinegar. And um, it's just vinegar with extra spices in it. And so more flavor. And more flavor. So it sparks up a salad dressing. It really is great in a marinade. It's a lovely book. It's beautifully presented. It's got great pictures. And... Um, they, the writers have really given me a feeling of what the prairies are like.
3: The book is called Prairie and Lucy Waverman kicked off the pickle juice revolution here. <laughs> uh, Jonathan, tell us about a cookbook that you'd recommend.
1: One of my favorites of the year is a book written by Nick Sharma. He's a LA based oh, food writer. Um, he, he started the, uh, the Brown Table. Um, His newest book, his third one, is called Veg Table. Um, I am a massive fan of Nick Sharma. Um, The reason is he's not afraid of flavor. In every single recipe, he maximizes flavor uh, with spices or um, just the right seasonings. And he has really interesting uh, uh, combinations of of ingredients and 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 seasonings but you know the one thing I'm also a big fan of in general and kind of went goes along with your question about uh economical cooking is Mm. that he's very vegetable forward and this is a trend that I see in cookbooks I've seen in cookbooks probably in the last you know it's got to been now well over five years where People or authors are, are really pushing um, interesting, fun, different, flavorful ways of presenting vegetables. And I think it's a really important movement that people should be kind of taking on. And, and veg table is, a, is a, an amazing way to start off because, you know, vegetables are you can do so much more with vegetables other than steaming them or quickly blanching them uh, or roasting them. You know, there's so many flavors that you can add to them. They just take on everything and they cook very, very quickly. Uh, And in my opinion, on a table, for example, during the holiday season, on a table, the most interesting uh, dishes to me are the vegetable dishes because they have the most color. They have the most texture. They have the most versatility Um, and a good cookbook or two on your shelf help you do that, I think is essential
3: for any home cook. Vegetable, which I just realized is vegetable. Of course, it's broken up as two words. (laughs) Lucy, give us another book.
2: I just want to say I agree with Jonathan on Nick Sharma. I think he's terrific. Look at this. Okay, so my next book (laughs) is a a book for people to read when they go to bed. It's called The Discovery of Pasta, which is a history of pasta in 10 dishes. Um, You have
3: me hooked. Continue.
2: Okay. It's by Luca Cesare, who's a noted writer and a historian. It's a wonderful read. It's charming. It's entertaining. It's about everybody's favorite pasta dish. What's your favorite pasta dish?
3: Oh, that's really hard. Uh, carbonara? Uh,
2: in here. Okay. The history, the roots, and everything. Um, one of my favorite quotes from this book is, legends are not historical acts. The ideas that many contemporary Italians have about pasta should be made, shaped, Cooked and served are totally disconnected from their culinary it's like roots. Truth-telling, the truth telling,
3: the truth telling of pasta.
2: Yes, and he takes you on this journey, and he'll make you laugh. I mean, the things that I learned. There were spaghetti conveyor belts in 1940 in New York in re- in a restaurant. Sure, and there was an international. Image- amatriciana scandal in 2021. And it was all about a clove of garlic. Someone wrote a recipe putting garlic into the sauce. and Everybody, Italians just got up in arms about the whole thing. There was going to be a court case. There shouldn't be garlic in that sauce. It's witty. It's entertaining. It'll make you laugh out loud. And at the same time, you will learn the true origins of pasta and their sauces. Just by the way, pasta was not al dente until the late 19th, early 20th century.
3: I've learned things already, and I haven't even read the book yet. Jonathan, give us another book. We're almost out of time here, but we're going to zip through a couple more.
1: I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, one of my favorite local books uh, around Montreal. Uh, This is a book called Salad, Pizza, Wine. Oh, I love this book. Yeah, so this is from the Eleanor restaurant uh, not too far away from my store. And it's a terrific book. I mean, it, the love of pizza for a lot of people runs extremely deep. And their pizza is amazing. Um, they do naturally leavened uh, pizza with, with natural yeast and a starter. Uh, and with the recipe in the book, uh, you know, what greater meal other than <laughs> a little bit of pasta, which there are quite a few recipes for pasta in the book, you know, pizza and a salad. I mean that's like a perfect saturday night to me and you can definitely do that throughout the year using this book. Uh their pizzas are 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 amazing in the book with lots of really interesting fun toppings but then the salads are very simple. This is like kind of gives off uh uh you know red sauce restaurant vibes mm-hmm. which but in a super cool hip way and uh the the, res- the the recipes in here read really simply and it is that very uh, typical Italian-style, minimal ingredients, uh, uh, very simple to throw together, but you're just using really
3: fresh stuff. And they know how to do comfort food, um, unlike, unlike many other people. Uh, Lucy, we're almost out of time, but you said you brought three books. So what's the, what's the final one okay, you the brought? Okay, the
2: third one is called The Korean Cookbook. Mm-hmm. So Korean food, very trendy right now, uh, restaurants getting Michelin stars. And this one um, is written by the chef and, um, and his partner, uh, the writer, and it's called The Korean Cookbook. Book. It's a stunningly beautiful book. It traces the heritage of Korean food from early times to today. Um, this is, it's the Bible of Korean food. If you're really interested, you should be buying this book. It's best for purists, people who love to read cookbooks, and cooks who want authentic, truly authentic tastes and enjoy a little extra work. It's not the, it has, some of the recipes have quite a long list of ingredients, mm. but they work and they're not hard to do. Um, he had three objectives. He wanted to tell the history of Korean food. He wanted to present recipes which were cooked in the home cook- kitchen. And also um, he wanted to explain culinary culture. And he, he goes into artisans in Korea. It's a really interesting section who make beautiful dishes, mm. who cook beautiful food. And most of them are women which I loved.
3: Do you worry, that sounds delicious. Do you worry that we won't need books like this? We won't even need YouTube or TikTok because I can go to artificial intelligence, chat GPT, I can open my fridge and say, I have these ingredients. Give me a Lucy Waverman recipe well, for I, the four things that I have in my fridge.
2: So just let me tell you that that's exactly what I did one day. Oh, I took it, I went in and I said, here are my ingredients, I want a Lucy Waverman recipe. Written like Lucy Waverman. I got a recipe, not my own, that was written exactly in my style and it really freaked me out.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't have you in it.
2: No, it had no feelings in it.
3: <laughs> and you're not going to get, Jonathan, um, the real feel, as you said, of those people who, who know what they're doing and have tested those recipes through AI.
1: Absolutely. I, when you read words that were actually written by the author, you feel the passion and the love in it. Yeah. And uh, like I said, it, it puts context and feelings into that specific recipe. Online, there's none of that. I'm so <laughs> yeah.
3: You've made me hungry and you've made me want to go and do what I'd love to do, which is sit around in a chair and flip through cookbooks and try to figure out what I'm going to cook later on that day. Thank you both for being here.
0: A pleasure. Thanks for having us. Jonathan Chung is a chef and the owner of Appetite for Books, a bookstore in Montreal. Lucy Waverman is a food columnist for The Globe and Mail and the author of numerous cookbooks. Matt Galloway spoke with them earlier this month. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.